welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 636 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I don't really ask you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. First and foremost, you have to understand how it feels to anticipate something. And that endless feeling of excitement and and vigor and angst in a good way. That's what anticipation feels like. Especially good anticipation. And the thing about anticipation is it grows over time. You know, it it doesn't just stay at a at a ground state or a, or a, or a small state. It continues to grow. And it grows all the way to a point that at at times that anticipation can be unbearable because you just want that thing to happen or you can't wait for that thing to happen so bad that time gets slower and and you just things probably start to annoy you a little bit because you're waiting for that one thing you don't care about this you care about that that is the feeling that the New York Jets fans have been feeling ever since Aaron Rodgers came to the organization. You see, the thing about the Jets are they've had a miserable history when it comes to success, when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, when it when it just when it comes to the game of football, the Jets have had a miserable history outside of, of course, you know, Testaverde and, and outside of a few pockets of history. Name, you know, Joe Namath, of course. The anticipation ever when 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 Jets fans heard that Aaron Rodgers was coming to the team, you can see the anticipation, the hope. The excitement just burst when we talk about, or not burst, grow and 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 bubble up once we get to, or once we talk about Jets fans, and once we talk about you know the the hopes of a new era. Because last year, right, last year, the Jets were one of those teams. We say this every year about multiple teams, but the Jets were one of those teams where you could say they were a quarterback away from contending. And when you look at their defense and you look at a lot of the moves that they made over the offseason outside of Aaron Rodgers, you thought that this team was good enough. I'm not going to say to win a championship, but to at least contend for one with Aaron Rodgers, of course, at the helm of this offense and at the helm of this team. I started this episode with that because imagine all of that excitement, all of that angst, all of that anticipation 
bursting as quickly as it did for this New York Jets fan base and for this New York Jets team when they saw Aaron Rodgers tear his Achilles. Four plays in the NFL season. This is kind of this. This is actually not the same, of course, because the anticipation was more, and the and the 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 hope was more when we talk about Aaron Rodgers. But remember, basketball fans, when I think it was like the first quarter, and Gordon Hayward was on the Boston Celtics, and of course he broke his leg, like the first quarter of the first game. And how a lot of people thought getting Gordon Hayward, that was the time that, the, or that was the Celtics' time to get the championship. You had Isaiah Thomas, you had Jay Crowder. You, you know, you, you had a good team. First quarter of the first game of the NBA season, Gordon Hayward snaps his, ne- snaps his uh, leg, season over. This, the feeling, again, I wasn't at the game. So I obviously don't know what it felt like inside. But I can, and I also don't know how it felt being a Jets fan, because obviously I'm not a Jets fan. But one thing that I do, as as someone from the outside looking in, as both a Jets fan and someone I was watching the game at home, I understand that, or I, I know how I felt. Let me say this. I know how I felt when I saw Aaron Rodgers go down. I was like, you know, Hard Knocks went to, you saw a different side of Aaron Rodgers during Hard Knocks, and you just saw a team that built everything around the hopes and the talent of Aaron Rodgers. Hell, they brought his friend, they brought Alan Lazard from the from the Packers, they brought Randall Cobb, you know, he also had Garrett Wilson, you saw that relationship matriculate over hard knocks. It, it just, to go from that to sudden disbelief, sudden shock, sudden confusion, is the is is exactly what the the Jets fan base and organization has felt for years now unfortunately of course you don't want to overlook the fact that Aaron Rodgers is a person and now he has to go through rehab and it's tough i i'm not i hope and nobody, nobody hopes that this is the last time we've seen Aaron Rodgers on a football field. But analyst after analyst, you know, former NFL player after former NFL player all come out and say that that rehab after a torn Achilles is tough. Hell, it's different, of course, basketball and football. Remember how long it took Kevin Durant, who was still at the height of his powers, how long it took Kevin Durant to get back? Again, I'm praying that this is not the last time we see Aaron Rodgers. Especially going out the way that he went out. But being 39, rupturing Achilles, having to go through that rehab is going to be tough. And now and and devastating for an organization because now you're turning to a person in Zach Wilson who just last year the organization and and his teammates 
pretty much gave up on any hope for him. Now, things are things obviously now are different, and things can be different in terms of you know Zach Wilson has been under the tool, tutelage of Aaron Rodgers since Aaron Rodgers has come to the team, so. You know, that can be a new hope. And, of course, as we know, the, the Jets did win the game and beat uh, Josh Allen and the Bills behind, you know, an incredible play from Garrett Wilson, an incredible uh, run back from, I forgot homie's name, but he was the last person to make the team, especially in hard knocks. He's a rookie. Xavier, I think, something. I forgot your name, bro. I, Gibson, I think. I apologize, bro. But now the Jets have to pivot. And that's that's another thing that it's it's always it always gets this is an aspect that always gets overlooked. The pivot. As an organization, like I said, especially if you watch Hard Knocks, this team has been in Jubilee of Aaron Rodgers being on the organization. And they've based their entire approach to this season on Aaron Rodgers is our quarterback. Let's mo- let's maximize this team because we have Aaron Rodgers. I talked about this an episode or two ago. There are two there are pretty much two types of teams. There's teams that go for it now and there are teams that build for the future. I'm not saying every organization obviously goes into the season expecting to win a championship, except for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about a little, that a little bit later. But every team usually goes into the season expecting to win a championship. It's not until about week three, four, five where you understand, all right, we're a win-now team or a, you know, we're not that good. Let's just plan for the future. The Jets were not waiting until week three, four, and five. They thought, and and when you look at their roster, and and if you look at how they played Monday night, you would expect they are a championship-caliber roster. And not having Aaron Rodgers is a devastating blow. I know a lot of people are going to try to paint the narrative and paint the picture that, well, they have Zach Wilson in. And if you saw that defense on Monday night, which was an incredible display of talent. But if you if you saw that defense that this team is still a championship. No. Gone are the days where you can have a Trent Dilford. You know, gone are the days where you can have an average quarterback, but an above above average team and still win because of how good the quarterback play is throughout the league. And if you want to you want to if you want an example of that, look last year, I understand that Brock Purdy got hurt, but last year was a prime example of the quarterback is okay. But the team is exceptional. And the 49ers, in fact, it's been like that for a while. When we talk about Jimmy G, when we talk about uh, Brock Purdy, the team has been great. The quarterback has been okay. They haven't won. This is Zach Wilson is not the I don't care how how much he's gained from Aaron Rodgers. It's it, as f- the season's obviously not over. 
And I think that the Jets are good enough, especially when you look at that defense and look at how they played. You look at Brees Hall. He looked great. You look at Dalvin Cook. He looked really good. Of course, you still have Garrett Wilson. This team is good enough to still make some noise in the playoffs. But when we talk about compete for a championship, you need that quarterback. Aaron Rodgers was that. He is not in, He is not there anymore, unfortunately. I wish for a speedy rec- – I hope for a speedy recovery for Aaron Rodgers. Again, nobody wants to go out like that, man. Nobody wants to see someone go out, especially you just saw the air. You saw it. You saw the air from the crowd just dissipate in a matter of seconds when they saw Aaron Rodgers go down. And you saw that anticipation, the the furious excitement that has been built up throughout the whole offseason vanish in a, in a matter of seconds. It's tough. It's tough. And again, speaking on just Aaron Rodgers, I hope for a speedy recovery. I hope that that's not the last time that we've seen Aaron Rodgers. But your body knows, you know. Your body at the end of the day is going to tell you when it's over and when it's not. Um, he will be 40 soon. So I don't know if a 40-year-old wants to go through that type of rehab. But I hope that's not the last time we've seen Aaron Rodgers, and I hope for a speedy recovery. And I hope that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to say better than ever, but Aaron Rodgers comes back healthy. So... Let's uh, before we move on from this game, because of course this is overreaction. You know, this is week one of the NFL season. That means that the overreactions are are, are flooding. The overreactions are are, are <laughs> everyone is either a championship, Super Bowl, you know, caliber team, or just trash. When you talk about when when you depend on who won, who lost, I'm gonna overreact a little bit, but I'm not gonna go to the extreme. But before we leave this game, I have to talk about the quarterback on the other side. When you have a quarterback as good as Josh Allen, and the success that is expected when you have a quarterback as good as Josh Allen has not arrived yet what you start to do is what what fans and what what analysts what people like to do is they like to point it every other direction outside of the main one now the re the reason why i can say this very easily and very confidently is because i've done this too i'm not going to sit here and say that you know, I am the perfect person when I talk about sports. No, I've done this too. When we talk about the, the Bills, I pointed the finger at, you know, Sean McDermott. Or, yes, yeah, Sean McDermott. And rightfully so, Sean McDermott, and he hasn't adjusted the way, in, time, in, in key situations, he hasn't adjusted and adapted the way that I think a, a championship caliber coach should when we talk about the run game and how it's been non-assist or non how it hasn't non-existent outside of Josh Allen that and all this of course is true 
But with these critiques or with these criticisms of the team, you forgot to we forget to look at the main factor, and that is Josh Allen. Let's not get it confused here. Josh Allen was the main reason why the Buffalo Bills lost to the Jets on Monday. When you give up four turn when you have four turnovers, three interceptions by one guy, and a forced fumble, you put yourself, you put your team in a situation that it's very, very hard to come out of. I did a quarterback ranking. I did a actually not quarterback ranking. I did a I did it in the top 10 NFL players in the league. And I got a lot of criticism because I did not put Josh Allen in my top five. I think to be exact, I know I put Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. And games like Monday is exactly why it's hard for me to put Josh Allen in my top five. When we talk about talent, Josh Allen is for sure a top five talent. In fact, when we talk about talent, Josh Allen might be the second best quarterback in football when we talk about just talent. But the thing that brings Josh Allen down considerably is his decision making and is his his inability to stop turning the ball over. Now, again, this is still week one. And this could be a, a drastic overreaction. But I'm compounding this week one to what we saw last year and what we saw the years that Josh Allen wasn't paired with Brian Dayball. Josh Allen is incredibly turnover prone. And as good as this Buffalo Bills team is as good as someone like Stefan Diggs is. If your quarterback continues to have a propensity to give the ball to the other team, you're always playing behind the eight ball. Again, talent wise, man, Josh Allen has it, man. Josh Allen is a top tier quarterback. When we talk about talent, when we talk about arm strength, when we talk about, you know, run ability, he has it. But when we talk about decision-making, and what do I mean when I say decision-making? We understand how big Josh Allen is, Pauls. We understand that he is a larger quarterback when we talk about stature, right? And we're going to talk about this a little bit later when we talk about uh, Anthony Richardson and the Colts. But... There has never been a team in the history of the NFL that has won a Super Bowl without a quarterback. I know that sounds simple, and it is simple. But so, so, and what do I mean by that? I mean, Josh Allen continues to put himself in situations where he can get hurt. I understand that there's a feeling of rush that people get sometimes when they get hit. I get that. But you have to understand in the NFL, the, 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 
quarterback is the most important position. I don't care if you you can have and I talk about this before the analogy you can have the most beautiful car you can have the most beautiful exterior the most beautiful interior when we talk about the leather seats or or the most beautiful wheels rims hell you can have the most spacious trunk if you do not have an engine that car ain't going nowhere Josh Allen continues to put himself in situ- to put himself in situations where he can get hit, and I'm not gonna say slide, but get out of bounds. He there was a play on Monday night where he jumped. He was like five yards away from the first down, and he jumped into two defenders. Had absolutely no shot of getting that that first down, but still, just for some reason, jumped. Until Josh Allen improves on his decision making and his inability or his ability to not throw interceptions, there's a, I feel like that is one of the major anchors holding this Buffalo Bills team back. As talented as the quarterback is, he's also the one holding this team back. Now again, this can be an overreaction. But this is the same thing we saw last year. Josh Allen making poor decisions, having incredibly asinine interceptions, and ultimately the Buffalo Bills losing games that they should have won. I understand that it went to overtime, and you can talk about the trip that wasn't called. You can talk about, of course, the... The, the play that ultimately ended the game and that was the kick return. But the 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 story of this game and the story of why Josh Allen lost his or the, the Bills lost his game is because Josh Allen himself had four unforced turnovers. And you can say, well, the Jets defense is incredible. Yeah, no. Did you if you would have saw some of them passes, it's like, yo, why would Josh Allen throw that? Or the fumble that went right through his hand and hit him in the face. Yeah. The Bills until unless Josh Allen improves in that area without Brian Dayball. It's hard for me to consider the Bills a champion or Super Bowl caliber team. So let's move forward, man. Like I said, we're gonna briefly talk about every game and, and some storylines and some overreactions coming out of the games. Uh the first game I wanted to talk about is of course to me one of the more sloppier games, but there were some positives to get out of the game, and that was of course the Ravens. Of beating the Texans twenty-five to nine. Um, let me first talk about the Texans. The Texans are not going to be a good team this year. I don't. 
I I did like what C.J. Stroud did. He threw for you know he threw for two hundred and forty two yards. Uh, he didn't have any touchdowns. Didn't have any interceptions. Uh, but I did like the fact of it's going to be tough for any rookie quarterback in the NFL. That's just unless you're just a a <laughs> a top top tier like a, a once in a generational player, which none of these rookies are. It's going to be tough coming into the league immediately and and making effect at the quarterback position and I like that CJ Stroud even though they did lose and even though he didn't look the best he stayed in it and he fought tooth and nail with you know against this Ravens defense which by which I understand that the Ravens they didn't have a lot of their key players on the defensive side of the ball but this game was easily one of those games where you can just pack it in and I know that when you look at the score 25 to 9 doesn't doesn't resemble a team that fought to the death but the the Houston Texans were and and CJ Stroud played incredibly well I mean nothing was going right the run game Damian Pierce 11 carries for 38 yards um Devin Singletary seven carries for 15 yards CJ Stroud had four carries for 20 yards nothing really went right you know nothing Outside of the defense, some side of the, the defensive side of the ball for the Texans, but I do like the fact that C.J. Stroud just hung in there and, and kept fighting, and I think that he's going to get better. What what did shock me about this game, outside of looking, we'll talk about the Ravens side, but what shocked me about the Texans is how good this defense looked, and I think that this defense has the ability to be one of the best defenses in football. I I didn't think I understand that it has names right you know like you have uh, Denzel Perriman you have Will Anderson Jr. you have great you know Jonathan uh, Greenard like you have good players but I just didn't think this team this defense was going to look as good as it did on Sunday I think that again I know that this is a bold huge statement but I think that this defense has the ability to be one of the best defenses in football and that is the Houston Texans didn't think that was going to happen I'm shocked but that's that's how they played on Sunday so well yes they won there was a lot of positives that you can take out of this Houston Texans game um, even though they lost and for the Ravens First and foremost, let me say, you know, uh, J.K. Dobbins, he tore his ACL or tore his Achilles, I believe, or ACL, one of those two, and he's out for the season. I hope for a speedy recovery. It's it's damaging because not only is he a running back, but I think this is the second time in, in three seasons that this has happened. Um, so I definitely hope for a speedy recovery. It's it That's a tough one, man. Um, but... And we're gonna t- you're gonna hear this a lot throughout uh, week one and throughout this breakdown. But the Ravens, especially when we talk about Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson looked like a player that hasn't played in the preseason. It looks like a player that hasn't played since November. Went 17 for 22, 169 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. The Ravens just looked sloppy throughout the entire game. Now. I am I am 
I'm going to hold out judgment. I'm going to hold out concern for the Ravens because for people that remember, the Ravens is my team to win the Super Bowl. I thought the Ravens are going. I think that the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl and have a Super Bowl caliber roster. But coming out that lethargic and coming out that seemingly lazy, it could be you know most of this roster, most of the starters didn't play since. November, uh, because most of them didn't play in the preseason outside of a couple players, but and maybe losing J.K. Dobbins because J.K. Dobbins he he had eight carries for twenty two yards, had a touchdown. Um, Gus Edwards did come in eight carries, thirty two yards. Lamar Jackson six carries, thirty eight yards. Uh, I did like Zay Flowers looked incredible, nine receptions for seventy eight yards. Odell Beckham Jr. looked like he was just getting back into it. Two receptions for 37 yards. Rashard Bateman, three receptions for 35 yards. This, I understand you didn't have Marlon Humphreys. I understand that you didn't have Mark Andrews. So that could, again, it could just be, you know, this team is is just getting their bearings under them. And a lot of the, the starters didn't play, you know, in the preseason. So you're, you're still trying to get the hang of it in this game one. But... It was shocking how lethargic this team looked, especially a team that has a lot of new weapons and a lot of new pieces that you would want to show off, especially against an inferior or on paper an inferior team in the Houston Texans. Again, it could just be week one. We'll see what happens next week, but it just it just it it was just weird seeing, you know, I think that they're going to be better. I still think Lamar Jackson is going to be better, but it, it didn't look good. And they they ultimately won because they played a lesser team. That's honestly what it was. So maybe it was a week one thing. Who knows? We'll see. The next game that I would like to talk about is probably the more shocking, uh, one of the more shocking results, and that was the Browns beating the Cincinnati Bengals 24-3. to And it goes this 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 point goes back to what I was just talking about, but and and it's a larger point of why the preseason is important. I don't I don't take a lot out of the preseason, but I do understand the importance of the preseason. You know, the the thing that kind of I'm not gonna say ruined the preseason. The thing that kind of changed the preseason forever for some teams is a couple years ago when the Rams didn't play a starter the entire preseason they did not play one starter the entire preseason and they ultimately ended up or they ultimately ended up winning the Super Bowl so now teams think you know we don't really have to play starters I don't think that that is a smart you know I'm not saying that you have to play starters the entire you know the entire preseason but at least a game or two at least a drive you can tell that Joe Burrow was not, or he was rusty. I'm not going to say he wasn't right, but he was rusty. Joe Burrow had the worst game he has ever had as a quarterback. He went 14 for 31 for 82 yards in the entire game. Yeah, this was this was the worst we've ever seen Joe Burrow. So I think when we, when we know a player to be one way and then they play drastically different, I'm going to put that as an outlier you know it I don't think that this 
Cincinnati Bengals team. I don't think that what we saw Sunday is a reflection of what we're going to see throughout the season for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that, you know, Joe Burrow, he was hurt all of pretty much all of training camp and all of the preseason. So this is his first game back in a while. He was rusty. Um, and in turn, because he was rusty, no one else for Joe Mixon, 13 carries for 56 yards. Jamar Chase, five receptions for 38 yard or 39 yards. Nobody really did anything. Um, Tyler T. Higgins, yeah, nah. So I just, I'm just gonna chalk that up to, um, I'm just gonna chalk this game up when we talk about Cincinnati to it was just, you know, an outlier game for Joe Burrow. Even though I will give credit to the to the Browns, the Browns played the Browns defense played an incredible game. Deshaun Watson didn't play that well. 16 for 29 for 154 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The one touchdown was a rushing touchdown, I believe. And he honestly could have had more interceptions. Deshaun Watson is not back yet. I don't and and the emphasis is yet. I don't know if he will be back or not to the Deshaun Watson that we remember him to be in Houston, but he was not good at all. Uh, he just again. This is just week one, so this can just all can just be a overreaction. But he just wasn't good. Now this defense, however, the defense was everything that we expected him to be. Uh, Denzel Ward was incredible. Miles Garrett had a, I think, uh, you know, had a sack. Um, it this defense was great. Uh, and this is why I did say. And I've said this for a while now, man. The Browns have one of the best teams on paper. It's just it has to transfer over to the field. Well, the offense didn't really do that, but the defense surely did this Sunday um, or last Sunday. It was great. They they played. The defense is the reason why they won this game. Hell, Nick Chubb didn't do much either. Uh, that's a lie. He had 18 carries for 106 yards. He just didn't have a touchdown. Um, yeah, man, I just, I just, that was one of the weirder outcomes of this, of the weekend. And this was a hard game to watch, man, because both quarterbacks were not good in the slightest. Now, of course, Joe Burrow was a lot more worse than Deshaun Watson, but both of them weren't that good. So I'm going to chalk it up to, at least for Joe Burrow, that, you know, he still has the rust in and we'll see him be better throughout the, you know, season. And Deshaun Watson, we'll just have to see. But this defense, this defense, the Browns defense, one of the best defenses in football. So I think they'll carry him uh, to a lot of games. So the next game that I would like to talk about is honestly one of the more shocking results of uh, the weekend and that was the Bronco. No, not Broncos. Buff. What am I talking? About? The uh, the Buccaneers beating the Vikings twenty to seventeen. Baker Mayfield twenty one for thirty four, one hundred and seventy three yards, two touchdowns. Um, when I talked about. First of all, let me congratulate Baker Mayfield for. You know, having he had a really good game. He played within the confines of the offense. He played within himself. He was really good. You know, uh, Mike Evans had a had a touchdown. Um, 
Now, this is one of the teams that were j- projected to be one of the worst teams in football, and they they ultimately beat a high powered off well he, a, a team that had a high a high power offense pretty much. So, shouts out to to Baker Mayfield. I talked about Justin Jefferson a lot this offseason, and I talked about how I felt he is the best wide receiver in football. And nothing about Sunday changed my mind. I mean, he had 19 receptions or nine receptions, nine receptions for 150 yards. That's 12, and he had 12 targets. So nothing about Sunday changed my mind about just, in fact, everything about Sunday reinforced what I felt about Justin Jefferson. Everything about Sunday also reinforced what I felt about Kurt Cousins and how Kurt Cousins can have games where he looks like a top-tier quarterback. Then he can have games like Sunday. He went 33 for 44, I mean 344 yards, two touchdowns. Now, when you watch that or when you hear that, you think, oh, Kirk Cousins was, I don't know how they lost this game. Kirk Cousins was incredible. Well, he also had three turnovers, two force or two fumbles and an interception. And that's why I always have a – I know how good Justin Jefferson is. But I also understand that when you're a wide receiver, your your overall output depends mightily on the output of the quarterback. And Kirk Cousins – Multiple times has gained, like I said, 33 for 44 for 344 yards. When you look at that, that looks incredible. But, oh, and two touchdowns, it looks incredible. But, of course, he turned the ball over three times. Like Josh Allen, it's, it's tough when you give a team three more opportunities. Look, I don't, it doesn't matter how good. Uh, Alexander Madison is how good Justin Jefferson is how good Jordan Addison is because he had an incredible he had four receptions for 61 yards TJ Hawkinson is one of the top tight ends in the league if your quarterback is 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 if you have a roller coaster ride of a quarterback as far as production there's always going to be a you're always going to be playing with one hand tied behind your back so when people were trying to get at me talking about how you how is <laughs> they were saying that um I was I was tripping because it's like you look at Justin Jefferson and he's had multiple you know thousand yard seasons he's really good so how do you have a wide receiver that's multiple thousand yard you know receiving seasons and you talk about Baker Mayfield. I mean, you talk about Kirk Cousins and how Kirk Cousins holding him back. It's games like this. It's games just like this. That's all I'm saying, man. Shouts out to the Buccaneers for beating the Vikings 20-17. to 
if you had any questions, if you had any concerns about how Derek Carr was going to look in a Saints uniform, all those questions were not answered on Sunday. In fact, criticisms that you had for Derek Carr are probably as loud as they've they, they've been. What what have been the criticisms? Because people are also killing me about my Derek Carr take. I'm saying Derek Carr is one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and he showed that on Sunday twenty or twenty three for thirty three, three hundred and five yards, one touchdown, one interception. Where Derek Carr struggles mightily on, and when I said some of the head-scratching decisions, some of the head-scratching turnovers, a lot of it is in the red zone. And there was multiple times where the Saints found themselves in the red zone and didn't capitalize, couldn't capitalize. A lot of that is on Derek Carr. Now, yes, the Saints ultimately won, beat the Tennessee Titans 16-15, to but it shouldn't have been that difficult. But the elements that plagued Derek Carr throughout his um, tenure in Oakland and Vegas were some of the same things that we saw week one of the Saints. Now, again, I'm going to continue saying this throughout the episode. This can just this is all just an overreaction because this is week one. But the Saints are a good team. To me, nothing about what I saw Sunday makes me think that, A, the Saints are not a good team, and, B, I don't see another team in the NFC South beating the Saints for that top spot. We'll talk about the other NFC South teams, but I just think that there is a clear number one in that division, and that is the Saints. But I also, And I also think that Derek Carr has the – has the ability to be the best quarterback in this division. But I also understand that Derek Carr, the struggles, especially in the red zone, that he that he struggled with in, in, when he was on the Raiders are the same thing that we saw with the Saints. And boy. When you have a quarterback that let, let let me let me explain let me expand this out. When you have a team like the Texans, or I'm seeing like the Titans, I'm, I apologize. And you have a player as good as DeAndre Hopkins. When you have a player as good as Derrick Henry, it's almost your duty as a owner as a GM as a head coach to maximize the potential well when you have Ryan Tannehill and I'm not saying give up on Ryan Tannehill yet again this is just week one but when you when you have Ryan Tannehill go 16 for 34 198 yards three interceptions all horrible interceptions too you know there's a clear lack of talent at the quarterback position. 
And I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill's trash. What I'm saying is Ryan Tannehill has proven to not be the guy to take you where you need to go for the Titans. And Sunday just emphasized that even more. For this game, the Texans or the Titans and the Saints, it was just the emphasis on what we already know. <laughs> that was the summary of this game. We know that Ryan Tannehill may not, probably ain't the answer uh, as far as the quarterback position. We know that Derek Carr struggled mightily in the red zone. He did that yet again on Sunday. Both both of the these these teams will ultimately be defined by their weaknesses. And the thing is, Ryan Tannehill was so bad, and this quarterback room is so bad. When we talk about Will Levis, when we talk about Malik Willis, that they sticked with Ryan Tannehill. They didn't even feel confident enough to go with a Malik Willis or to go with a Will Levis. They they stuck it out with a quarterback that didn't have 200 yards and, and had three interceptions. Think about that. That should show you how concerning this quarterback room is. But we will see moving forward for both teams. The other NFC South game that we saw was the Falcons and the Panthers. The Falcons beat the Panthers 24 to 10. I liked what I saw. Let me say this. I liked what I saw out of the Panthers' all defense. Uh, their defense really kept them afloat, especially with Bryce Young struggling. I mean, he had one touchdown, two interceptions. Those are pretty bad interceptions. The running game didn't do much. Chuba Hup, uh no, Miles Sanders, 18, or 18 rushes for 72 yards. Chuba Hubbard had nine recession, or nine carries for 60 yards. Nothing, it, this, it wasn't that good of a game, of course, for the Panthers. Uh, as far as their defense was good, now I know that J.C. Horn, uh, he is out indefinitely with a hamstring injury. I hope for recovery. I hope for a speedy recovery for him. But it just, it, it wasn't the best game for, honestly, both teams, man. The Falcons, Desmond Ritter, they trusted Desmond Ritter to throw the ball eight. They didn't trust him enough to throw the ball more than 18 times. Uh, now, I will say that Tyler Aguilar went crazy. 15 carries uh, for 75 yards. Bijan Robinson looked incredible. 10 carries for 56 yards. It, both of these teams are littered with talent. Not in the, the, the concerns or the outlook of this season – Going into the season is exactly what I saw week one. This te- Both of these teams are talented rosters. It's just you're only going to go as far as the quarterback take you. And like I said about C.J. Stroud, it's tough when you're a, a rookie quarterback going up against a good, a good team. Uh, and I think that Bryce, Bryce Young is going to be better throughout this season. But, I mean, they trust him enough to throw 38 times. So... You know, I, I think they're going to be better. I just, I think that this division, the NFC South, like I said, that's one of the weakest divisions, in my opinion. Um, but we'll see. We we will see. But shouts out to the Atlanta Falcons for beating the Carolina Panthers twenty four to ten. 
here's a game I kind of want to pause at. And I, I and that is the Jaguars beating the Colts 31 to 21. There was a clear-cut difference in Trevor Lawrence and Anthony Richardson. Now, when you look at the numbers, the numbers weren't that different. Trevor Lawrence threw for 241 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Anthony Richardson threw for 223 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Anthony Richardson also ran 10 times for 40 yards and a touchdown. I don't want to speak on the game as much as I want to speak on the post-game comments that Trevor Lawrence sent or directed to Anthony Richardson, pretty much saying, yo, you have to protect yourself. Because Anthony Richardson got hurt at the end of the game and was out for uh, And it was the end of the game, but he was out. He got hurt. And what Trevor Lawrence said was pretty much what we, you know, the quarterback is the most important position. I talked about this with Josh Allen. The quarterback is the most important position on, in, on the football field. Both sides. And you have to protect yourself at the end of the day. Anthony Richardson hurt, Anthony Richardson hurt himself, you know, trying to, you know, running, running into a defender, trying to get more yards. But at the end of the day, you have to be smart. There's there's a difference between college and NFL as far as player type, body type, physicality. There's much there's a huge difference. So the thing is that Anthony Anthony Richardson is a supreme athlete. Let's say that. But the te- the, the 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 athleticism gap is a lot shorter in the NFL than it is in college. In college, Anthony Richardson could be the most athletic person by a country mile than anyone he's facing. That's not ultimately going to be the case now. So you have to protect yourself, man. You have to. Because in the, the day, these hits pile up. That's what that's what Trevor Lawrence was saying. These hits pile up. And while it's, it's, it's beautiful being young and it's great being young, there's going to be a certain point where youth can't save you from injury. So... I just I, I pray for I, I pray that Anthony Anthony Richardson isn't, you know, seriously hurt and that he has a long, successful career, but that will not happen if he doesn't protect himself. And for Trevor Lawrence, again, I'm I'm chalking it's I'm not gonna do any rash uh outcomes or rash decisions by, you know, with week one. But what I will say is the Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence looked great at times. The, the, the thing that we've seen about Trevor Lawrence and, and what we said about Trevor Lawrence's entire career is exactly what we saw on Sunday. There were moments of the game where he looked incredible. There was moments of the games where he looked god-awful. It's just It was just a roller coaster ride for, for pretty much the whole, whole, uh, whole, whole Sunday. So... The shouts out to the Jaguars for beating the Colts uh, 31 to 21. I want to stop here for a second.
because this to me was the most concerning loss of or most shocking eye-opening game of the weekend and that was the 49ers beating the Steelers 30 to 7 and none of it all of it is honestly on the Steelers the 49ers came in rare form. Brock Purdy looked like he hasn't missed a step. This defense, this team looks like they haven't missed a step. Brandon Ayuk looked incredible. It this this team is to me yesterday or to me on Sunday this team looked like the best team in the NFL. Like it it didn't seem it didn't seem that close. It seemed like they were firing on all cylinders. Christian McCaffrey had 22, 22 carries for a hundred and fifty two yards. Brock Purdy threw for two hundred and twenty yards, two touchdowns. Brandon Ayuk had eight receptions for a hundred and twenty nine yards, two in, two touchdowns. Whew, it yeah. This this 49ers team looked like the best team in football on Sunday. And it didn't even look close. But that kind of brings me to why I said that this was one of the more shocking and, and eye-opening games of this of Sunday. I've raved about them. I made a short about them. I've I, I talked about them at nauseum because of the preseason. I had so much faith or my faith was restored. Let's say from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now I, again, I'm also the same person, the same breath. So I'm not being a hypocrite. I don't take a lot out of the preseason, but think the questions that I do have, if your team answers those questions in the preseason for me, then yeah, that's that's going to say a lot. I didn't I'll just say I thought that this Steelers team was gonna come out and play a lot better than they did and and The question marks that I had about every single person on the Steelers team, I thought was answered in the preseason, but matriculated or or reared reared its head game one. Kenny Pickett looked terrible. I know you can look and say Kenny Pickett threw for 232 yards, one touch or one touchdown, one two interceptions, but he looked terrible. He looked just lost. This this offensive line looked terrible. Nazi Harris looked ter- this entire team outside of TJ Watt looked terrible. And unfortunately what Cam Hayward, he he went out and I think he has to have surgery. So he's going to be out for weeks. The only thing redeemable about this team was how good J.J. Watt played. From the decision makings, Mike Tomlin didn't have it. No one had a good game for this Steelers team outside of T.J. Watt. And that, to me, was more shocking, especially when you saw, when you felt the momentum that they built in the preseason. 
Kenny Pickett looked great. Again, I said this on this podcast. The Steelers were probably the best team in the preseason. And they came out and looked arguably like the worst team in football week one. Now, again, I'm going to continue to preference myself in saying that this is just week one. And playing the 49ers week one is a tough out for anyone, especially a 49ers team that looked as good as they looked. But it just it was shocking to me how bad this team looked. And honestly concerning, especially when they looked they looked on Sunday, they looked a lot more like they did majority of the season last year than they did in that preseason. Meaning, where was the growth? Where's the growth that I saw in the preseason? Again, this could just be week one and it was just a tough opponent, but how do you expect to contend for anything if you can't beat the opponent that you're facing you know what i'm saying so again i'm not i'm not gonna jump to rash conclusions but that was a terrible loss uh the the steelers were probably the steelers were probably the worst team in football on sunday honestly Let's talk about this Washington uh, Washington Commanders and Cardinals. The Commanders beat the Cardinals twenty to sixteen, and we finally, I finally got to see, you know, what it looked, what Sam Howell looked like as a starting quarterback, as far as you know, going into the season and you're the starter. And honestly, I didn't like what I didn't like what I saw, not because Sam Howell Sam Howell wasn't bad. I didn't like what I saw because. The problems that have permeated this commander's team are still there. And that is their offensive line is horrible. Our offensive line has been a huge problem for a while now. And Sam Howell was running for his life every single time. Like, it, it, you know, not, not to mention uh, Antonio Gibson fumbling the ball like usual. The, the thing is, the problems that I that I or that have have plagued this Washington team are the are the same problems that I saw on Sunday. And if they played a better team, they almost lost to the Arizona Cardinals, by the way, like they were losing a lot of the game, majority of the game. It's just the Cardinals had to remind, whoa, whoa, we're, we're tanking here, bro. <laughs> like if the Cardinals had, if Kyler Murray was playing, it's over. We were lost. Because... And the cart, man, I'm not even good. The Cardinals aren't even good, bro. It's just the offensive line is terrible. Our offensive line is terrible. Our secondary isn't the best. Now, our front, our defensive front, like I thought and like it's been, was incredible. Montez Sweat was good. Uh, Jonathan Jonathan Allen was great. Uh, Deron Payne was good. And, and Chase Young didn't even play. But the 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 areas that I thought we were going to be sketchy at we were sketchy, and that is the offensive line. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is, if your offensive line is not that good, you're always playing. You you're always playing with one you know behind the eight ball. So I like what Sam Howell looked. Sam Howell looked poised. He looked good. Nineteen for thirty one, two hundred and two yards. But if we don't address that offensive line, then it doesn't matter what happens, bro. We're no. 
So, another another game we need to talk about is the. Of course, we're talking about all the games, but the Raiders beating the Broncos seventeen to sixteen. Look here, when you start the game, and you're it's your you know. This is your first game as a head coach for a franchise. You have Russell Wilson, who is an established quarterback. You have okay pieces. You have pretty good pieces. Javante Williams, um, Cortland Sutton. And you start the game with an onside kick. That that should that 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 to me is a red flag. You know what I'm saying? Um, now don't get me wrong. And, and the, the problem was, and why I'm not gonna. It's tough. Again, I'm not trying to overreact, but a lot of the problems that permeated last year's team or last year's Broncos team is the same problems that we saw on Sunday. This team looked eerily similar. Russell Wilson. It's 27 for 34, 177 yards, two touchdowns, which means you throw for if you throw 34 times and have 177 yards, that means you were pretty much throwing a lot of checkdowns. Um, it's none of these both these teams didn't really look good, man. Jimmy G threw for 200 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Josh Jacobs, 19 carries for 48 yards. Um, Jacoby Myers did look well. Oh, did look good. He nine receptions for eighty-one yards for two touchdowns. Devontae Adams six receptions for sixty-six yards. This both. I don't think any of these teams are really going to be that good. I, let me say this: I thought that the Broncos are going to be pretty good. You know, I thought that. I think that this year is going to be hopefully going to be better than last year. But if I will say game one looked a lot like it did last year. For the Broncos, that's all I'm gonna say. Oh, and honestly, Game One for the Raiders looked a lot like it did last year. And last year they had Derek Carr. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, boy. Um, the sh- probably the game of the weekend was the Dolphins and the Chargers. The Dolphins beat the Chargers 36 to 34. Two a tongue of a low, bro. When I did my divisional breakdown and I said that the a- AFC North was the best division of football, very close second to me is the AFC East. And of course, going into the season, I thought that, of course, the Jets were probably going to win the AFC East. I think it was honestly between the Jets and the Bills. But I will say this. Tua Tagovailoa on Sunday threw for 466, 466 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Tyreek Hill caught 11 receptions for 215 yards. It doesn't matter what a defense throws at you. When you have... Tua playing that well when you have Tyreek Hill, who is virtually unguardable. And you have have a team 
with this much firepower. Raheem Morsa, 10, rece- 10 carries for 37 yards, a touchdown. The, the, the Dolphins not only have a shot of winning the AFC East, and that is a good shot. Like, if we're talking today, right now, I would say that the Dolphins are probably the best team and the best pick to win the AFC East. But this team is good enough to compete for a Super Bowl. When you have a quarterback as dialed in and locked in with a receiver as he is with Tyree Kill, it kind of gives you the same thing of, now I'm not saying that two is on the same level, of course, but, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill or, you know, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. When you have a quarterback that locked in with a receiver, it's hard to beat. And you also have Jalen Waddle, four receptions for 78 yards. This team is great. This is a really good team. The the Dolphin, let me say, and not to mention, Jalen Ramsey didn't he? He's not here yet. So this team is gonna be even better. This team, this Dolphins team has a shot. If everything works out the way that it, it or if they continue to play like this, they have a shot to win the Super Bowl. Or at least compete to go to a Super Bowl. I will say that. Because, again, your quarterback, the, the quarterback that a lot of people think that can't throw the ball downfield through for 466 yards. And on the other side of the ball, this is yet another game where Brandon Staley and the Chargers don't get it done. That's starting to be their rap. And it's not just Brandon Staley. It's also Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert threw for 228 yards, one touchdown. Austin Eckler, 16 carries for 117 yards. Joshua Kelly, 16 carries for 91 yards. Didn't matter. Keenan Allen, I know uh, Mike Williams went out again and he continued to get hurt. Keenan Allen had six receptions for 76 yards. J.C. Jack, J.C. Jackson had an interception, but he had a bonehead penalty that ultimately pretty much cost him the game. This is yet another game that Brandon Staley and this Chargers team did not come up with, that they should have. And this is starting to become a, a pattern with Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert. Like, these games, it do, I understand that you're, you're going up against a team that has a quarterback that's throwing 400-plus yards, but this is also a, a, a team that has Derwin James, that has a Bosa, you know, uh, Joey Bosa, that has uh, Khalil Mack, Asante Samuel Jr., and you come up short. So, this is yet another game. I'm not gonna chalk. I'm not gonna take much out of this game. Uh, the Eagles beat the Patriots twenty-five to twenty. I will. I th- you know Jalen Hurts threw for one hundred and seventy yards, one touchdown. He didn't look that good, but again. 
you're 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 a team that has two new coordinators and a bunch of new players on the defensive side of the ball. You're, you're going to look a little rusty. Not going to lie. Uh, and you're going up against you're going up against Bill Belichick, who's the best defensive coach in the history of the NFL. Uh, I will say I was pleasantly surprised at how good Mac Jones looked. I mean, thirty four or thirty five for forty four. Oof, 35 for 54, 316 yards, three inters, three touchdowns, one interception. He looked really good, man. He looked great. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, six receptions for 64 yards. Rondre Stevenson, six receptions for 64 yards. I I was incredibly shocked of how Mac Jones looked. Now, again, I don't know if that was, you know, you're going up against a first time you know a new coordinator and everything and and a bunch of new pieces but i i I think that i still think that my outlook on both of these teams the eagles and the patriots are gonna come true uh but shouts out to the eagles for beating i did like what i saw from mac jones let me say that and i think that it was just a it was just a, a a rust game, and of course you're dealing with two new coordinators, so you need to you know they need to get things together. So, shouts out to the Eagles for beating the Patriots twenty five to twenty. Um, shout. Out. <laughs> All right, so I got a sea of people that are flooding my DMs and flooding my comments. Because I said that I'm not too sure how Jordan Love and this Green Bay Packers team was going to look, especially without Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and the Packers beat the Bears 38-20. to Jordan Love played really well, 15 for 27, 245 yards, three, three touchdowns. Aaron Jones, nine carries for 31 yards, or 41 yards, I apologize, and a touchdown. Jordan Love looked really good. Jordan Love looked really good. Now, I it, I am going to point out that this was against arguably the or actually not arguably the worst defense in football last year, and most of those players are still there. Uh, but Jordan Love looked good. You won a divisional game against the Bears, and hey, shouts out to him, man. Again, I hopefully he's able to keep this up, but. But and this Green Bay Packers team is good. I'm not going to go as far as to say that they can compete for a Super Bowl, which I heard a bunch of people say, or even win the NFC. But I will say that Jordan Love looked really good. He looked poised. He looked like a very good quarterback um, on Sunday. This this game actually, man, I was more shocked and upset with how this offense looked or the not offense the bears offense looked this is a year that we we are expecting a big leap from justin fields you have donnell moody you have cole Komet, you have you know dj moore you are chase claypool you are expecting more from this bears team now yes the the packers defense is tough but i was just expecting more and to come out and look as bad as they look, Justin Fields looked horrible, bro. I understand you threw for 216 yards. He looked bad. And the offensive line still trash. He was it, This Bears team is not – I thought that this Bears team, with Aaron Rodgers leaving the division, I, I thought that the – I think that the Lions are going to win the division. But I thought that this was the prime time for Bears to, to – 
assert themselves as the next best team and especially with Justin Fields but it looked more like last year and that was just more shocking to me cuz it's just like yo this bear even with even with Jordan Love this bears team looks inferior and you have a quarterback which I thought was going to be better than Jordan Love and Justin Fields so it was just shocking to me but shouts out to the Packers for beating the Bears 38 to 20 uh, I want to say, sh- I need to say his name. Where is his name? Shouts out to, uh, was it Kieran Will? No, no. Shouts out to Tutu Atwell, man. Tutu Atwell, six receptions for a hundred. No, 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 no. Puka uh, Nakua. I know I said your name wrong, bro. I apologize. Uh, Puka Nakua. Uh, Nakua. I, yeah, I know. I, I probably said your name wrong, bro. But. He is a he was a rookie he's a rookie wide receiver for the Rams. Now the Rams ultimately beat the Seattle Seahawks thirty to thirteen, but Puka had ten receptions for a hundred and nineteen yards. Man, he was incredible. Now ultimately, Matthew Stafford was really good too. He threw for three hundred and thirty four yards. Um. This it was a good game, man. This this was an all around good game. Defensively, they played well. We we saw the famous footage of um, Geno Smith seeing Aaron Rock or Aaron Donald come and was like, oh oh my god, you know, I, I probably would done the same thing. I ain't gonna well, but I think that this game kind of put the question in people's heads: Was Seattle a one hit wonder, or was last year Seattle? just a a fluke and this year you're gonna they're gonna come down to earth or was last year a fluke for geno smith and he's gonna come down to earth because geno smith threw for 112 yards uh for one touchdown it it just it it looked terrible they had a terrible they were probably one of the worst i'm still thinking i'm still picking the steelers as the worst team on sunday they're the seahawks are one of the worst um so i think that now the question is Again, was last year uh, an outlier year, or is because a lot of people have the Seahawks as one of those teams to look out for to compete for the NFC. So, it, it, <laughs> is the Geno Smith that we saw last year the same that we're gonna get this year, or the the Geno Smith that we're used to seeing? You know what I'm saying? But shouts out to the Rams for beating uh, the Seahawks thirty to thirteen. Oh boy, and I I I apologize. I don't know. I forgot. I forgot. The Steelers were not the worst team in football on Sunday. I completely forgot about the Giants. <laughs> the Cowboys beat the Giants forty to four or forty to zero. Um. Mm. This was all the Giants. Daniel Jones who just got his money, just got paid. He had 104 yards, two interceptions. Look, there's not much we have to say about this game. Um when we talk about complete dominance, that's what the the Cowboys did to the Giants. The Giants nothing went well for the Giants. Um 
it was it was just tough sledding throughout the Giants. It's not even and the thing is the the difference between the Steelers and the Giants outside of of course the Giants didn't score. The Steelers they didn't come out lethargic. They just came out like they were the inferior team. The Giants came out like the Giants just came out and you can tell from the jump they were playing they were the inferior team. And this is a team that has Dexter Lawrence. This is a team that you know, a lot of people thought were it's going to be one of those team, the team that could win the NFC, uh, NFC East. Nah, you have Darren Waller, Isaiah Hodges, like it, it was bad. Jalen Wyatt that you got from the draft, yeah, nothing about this game was good for the, uh, for the Giants, man. That this was a complete domination. So. Yeah, man. Um, that was that was the games on Sunday, man. Uh, again, football is back, man. And I'm excited. I'm excited. Week one was great. My team is one to zero, even though I'm not happy with how we won. But hey, I'll take a win. Uh, is your team one to zero? My fantasy, bro. I'm not gonna sit here and talk about it for long because I don't want to get upset. But, bruh, my fantasy, I lost by less than a point because Josh Allen can't get the ball to Dalton Kincaid. Now, yes, mistakes were made. I started uh, Christian Kirk uh, and left Zay Flower or Zay, Zay Jones, I'm sorry, on the bench. Travis Kelsey, he obviously didn't play, so I had to start Dal- Dalton Kincaid. Ah, boy. But, hey. So, so right now, my fantasy is 1-0. But my NFL team's uh, – or my fantasy is 0-1. My my football team is 1-0. Yeah. I did want to also say that Chris Jones ended his, his lockout or holdout with the Chiefs. He signed a one-year deal, which is a good and bad thing in my opinion. Bad thing for the Chiefs. Well, it was a good thing in the immediate. I think it's bad thing for move, move or for the future, possibly for the Chiefs and for Chris Jones. As far as I think that if you sign a one-year deal, especially with a player as good as Chris Jones, and you already were kind of hesitant in paying him this year, I think that the writing is kind of on the wall. It, hopefully, it's not for the Chiefs' sake, um, but it does mean that you know he's not going to miss any more time or he shouldn't miss any more time and now you you know now hopefully track you get travis kelsey back and now that this team can focus on the issues that they that they have right now which of course the wide receiver core you don't have to worry about travis kelsey you don't have to worry about chris jones i think that's of course a win for them uh and a win for chris jones you get paid uh i don't know i, I again i don't know what's happening after this year but this is now considered a contract year, and I think Chris Jones is going to ball out. I just, I'm just interested to see what happens moving forward because usually when you have a player as good as he is signing a one-year deal, usually they're not back with the team the next year. That's so we'll see. But shouts out to Chris Jones and them for, um, for, for getting a deal done, one-year deal. So let's move forward. 
also want to say shouts out to uh, Texas for beating Alabama. You know what's beautiful about college football right now and why I say that I said this week one, this is probably going to be one of the best years in college football that I can remember is because ask yourself this, man, who is the what is the best team in college football? Of course, you can, if you go by rankings, you can say Georgia. Georgia did beat Ball State, uh, forty-five to three. But there are so many good teams, man. There's Colorado. They won again. They beat Nebraska, thirty-six to fourteen. Uh, Ohio State's good. Penn State uh, is great. Utah is good. Notre Dame is really good. Uh, Michigan is great. Like, there are so many good teams. And, and hell, Texas beat number three Alabama. I think ending Alabama's like 54, two or 54 uh, win streak against non-conference opponents. Oregon is good. Like, it's, (laughs) this is going to be a great year in college football. And, it's it's just going to be good, man. It's going to be great, and I'm excited. I am so, so excited about this year. And shouts out to Texas and Quinn, your, Quentin, or Quinn yours for beating the George or Alabama Crimson Tide. Yo, against Alabama, I understand that this isn't Ala, you know, this isn't Alabama that we're used to, uh, but Quinn threw for. 349 yards uh, against this Alabama defense. Now, Jalen Milrow, the quarterback for Clemson, or quarterback for Alabama, he threw two touchdowns, two interceptions, pretty costly. But, again, they only only lost by 10. But, shouts out to Texas for beating um, Nick Saban and Alabama Crimson Tide. So, I guess this is the shout out portion of the of the episode. I want to shout out Coco Golf um, for winning the U.S. Open, being the youngest player or youngest American player since Serena Williams. Uh, Coco Golf is nineteen, the youngest to win the U.S. Open. Uh, she's black, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say, bro. She's black, so of course I'm rooting for. Her. Uh, she has she and and what's beautiful and I talked about this last time I talked about her, but I'm excited. I, I love seeing her growth and I love seeing her her rise to where she is and her rise because there's there was times when she was just getting whooped and it's just like all right. And then, you know, we saw she was starting beating top ranked people, but then she would ultimately lose in like the semifinals or lose the second game. And then she'll get all the way to like the f- the finals or whatever and lose. I love that we have seen the maturation and seen the growth of Coco Golf. It has just been a beautiful thing to see. And. I'm happy for her, man. Of course, rooting for everyone that's black. So, shouts out to Coco Golf for winning her first U.S. Open and being the first or the youngest American to win it since Serena Williams. So, also want to say shout out to Novak Djokovic for winning his 24th Grand Slam and winning the U.S. Open. Uh, of course, he had the Kobe Bryant. He did. A, he paid tribute to Kobe Bryant. 
he had the Kobe Bryant shirt, of course, you know, Kobe, 24. Novak Djokovic, 24th Grand Slam. It's only right. Uh, I've said this time and time again, man. Novak Djokovic is one of the greatest tennis players we've ever seen. And I will say that there's going to come a point where he might have the greatest resume we've ever seen. Um, I'm not I'm not gonna go as far as say he has it right now, but when you look at his resume and you look at the 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 people that he's beaten and you look at just the sheer number of wins that he has, he is he has one of the greatest careers in tennis. So man, shouts out to him for again winning his twenty fourth Grand Slam. Shouts out to you, brother. Also, want to say shout out to Sean Strickland for beating Israel Adesanya in a massive, like one of, I think, one of the largest upsets in UFC history when we talk about um, odds and everything. I think Sean Strickland was one of the worst. First of all, Sean Strickland wasn't even the person he was supposed to fight Israel Adesanya. Uh, the person he was supposed to fight, I forgot his name, but he, he backed out due to injury. And he was, Sean Strickland was the replacement. Um, and he, I mean, let me see, he, he's already 20, 20, 27 and five going in Israel Adesanya. I think that he's already beat him. It's, it's just, it's just one, again, one of the most shocking and one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Uh, yeah, bro. He, he won in decision, but he did. I think one of the first knockdowns or one of the very rare times when Israel Adesanya was knocked down. Uh, yeah, man, Sean beat him and beat him handedly. So shouts out to Sean Strickland for beating Israel Adesanya at UFC 293. Um, And lastly, before we go, we have finally arrived uh, to the WNBA playoffs. Uh, you have, of course, First round, you have the Vegas Aces going against the Chicago Sky. You have the New York Liberty going against the Washington Mystics. You have the Connecticut Sun going against the Minnesota Lynx. And the Dallas Wings going against the Atlanta Dreams. First and foremost, going into this playoffs, I thought that it was really... How the season was shaping out throughout the entire year, it was going to be the Vegas Aces against everyone else. Like, that's just... That's just how it was. Vegas was running through people. Uh, I think Asia Wilson. I would I would say majority of the season, Asia Wilson can what was easily the MVP. But when you see Brianna Stewart scoring what the most points in the WNBA, scoring the most points in in Liberty history, and I think having the most 40-point games or tied with the most 40-point games in, in WNBA history for a season, I wouldn't be surprised if she won the MVP. I don't know. But going into these playoffs, I think that it's a two-team race. And I know I always like to slide my Washington Mystics in there, and the Mystics do play the New York Liberty, but the way that the New York Liberty finished the season and you know, just when they put their foot on the gas, one thing that I people said going in was if the New York Liberty get everything that they need to get and start gelling, that is going to be tough. When you have John Quill Jones, when you have Sabrina Nadescu, I think she had the most threes in WNBA history. Um, 
this season when you have Brianna Brianna Stewart, who to me it's one A one B between her and Asia Wilson as the best players in the WNBA. When you have Benaja Laney, like this team, uh, Courtney Vandersloot, this team is we we talked about the whole super teams and it was two teams going in, uh, and in the beginning of the season the it was it was tough for the New York Liberty to gel. Now when you look, they are leaps and bounds. The only competition, in my opinion, to the to the Vegas Aces, and honestly, if they played right now, I it would be very tough for me to pick a winner. Uh, and I think that both of those teams are prime. Even though, shouts out to the Connecticut Sun, shouts out to Alisa Thomas, Alyssa Thomas, shouts out to Dewana Bonner. They were they were incredible this year. I just think that it is a two team race. No, and it doesn't matter who else you put and three down i think it's the vegas aces and the new york liberty and we kind of expected that going into the season it's just in the beginning of the season and throughout the middle of the season it wasn't looking too hot for the new york liberty uh but now that they're gelling and now brianna stewart is going is going crazy i i think that the vegas aces and the new york liberty will see each other in the finals and honestly I probably have the New York Liberty. And this is someone that has been saying that the Vegas Aces are going to run away with the WNBA championship. I think as we sit here today, I might choose. If they make it, of course, I'll talk about it here. But if they make it, I might pick the New York Liberty to win the WNBA championship. We'll see. Uh, And there you have it, man. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you guys. Um, if you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to if you're listening. Please subscribe to if you're watching. We did it, guys. We did it. We finally reached a thousand subscribers. I truly, truly appreciate every single person that subscribes, every single person that comments, every single person that follows the socials every single person that has supported me i truly truly appreciate you guys and we finally hit a thousand yes we did it after my birthday i know i said i want to do it for my birthday but we did it i don't care when we did it we did it now i i and 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 the beauty about this and thing that i'm so excited about is i think that this is just the beginning you know uh i'm excited man i am excited i appreciate you guys truly truly appreciate you guys that doesn't mean if you haven't, please still subscribe. I'm trying to, you know, we hit a thousand. Next milestone is go until we can't go no more. So please subscribe. Uh, please subscribe to the socials or follow the socials. Follow the Instagram. Follow the TikTok. I post pretty much daily on there. Um, of course, if you comment, that's me. I'm usually the one. Uh, we'll have a conversation. Just, just keep it respectful, and you know we can debate, we can talk, we can, we can be a little family in the comments. So, follow the subscribe to the YouTube, follow the socials, and until next time, much love. <laughs>